Hey Siri, remind me to pick up milk on the way home. Hey Siri, remind me about ballet practice at 5 p.m. Hey Siri, remind me to ask mom if I can borrow her car for Friday. Hey Siri, remind me to call the body shop. Hey Siri, remind me to take out the trash tonight. Siri, hey Siri, Siri, hey Siri, hey Siri, 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 hey Siri, 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 we're continuing our series in Ephesians in case maybe, again, you haven't been around for a while. Uh, we're walking through the book of Ephesians and um, it's, 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 you know, it's six chapters long and, and the book is written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul was, a, was an incredible man. He actually used to, uh, at one point, he was uh, arresting Christians and imprisoning them and, and, and uh, actually killing them, stoning them, um, because he was you know, under the belief that Jesus was not the Messiah, that he was just coming to destroy uh, the construct that they had, the structure of their religious system at the time. And uh, Jesus confronts him, changes his life. Um, and, and, and at first, he was referred to Paul, and, and then he's refer, uh, referred to as Saul, and then he's referred to as Paul. And actually what he turns into is one of the, the greatest uh, warriors for the faith. He wrote most of the New Testament. And, and so this book is written by him. And actually he writes this book while he's in prison, um, which I don't know about you. If I'm in prison, I'm probably just crying in a corner or something like that, right? Especially in this time in Rome. But, but he's like, you know, I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to write out some letters. And, and this is one of the letters that he writes to one of the churches that he started. And so we're walking through this book, uh, basically splitting each chapter into two parts. And so, so for this week, which is the last week of, of um, uh, September, obviously, we are going to be covering chapter five, verses one through 20. And then next week, we're going to be starting a family series based out of uh, Ephesians five and six. And so we're kind of, we're sort of summing up all of these, these uh, chapters that we've been looking at. And uh, 1 through 20, there is a whole lot of information and a whole lot of things to cover. And uh, so really, I'm just going to prepare you now. It's going to be sort of like a fire hydrant, and we're going to be going through it pretty quickly. There's some things that I'll, I'll lean into a little bit more than others. And so there might be some things that you're like, wait, wait, go back. And what did that mean? <clears throat> Unless you want to be here till around 11.30 or so, I think we'll just keep it moving. Are you okay with 11.30? You guys didn't laugh about that. You're like, actually, just bring the second service in. Let's just keep it going. No, we're not going to do that. But, uh, but, but I'm really excited to be able to share with you today uh, the, about these scriptures. Now, here's the deal. We're going to cover some things today that, uh, honestly, if you've got children in here below, like impact age, you know, maybe 12 and below, I, I'd, I'd really encourage you in case maybe you don't want to have some awkward conversations around lunch or dinner table tonight that you might want to go ahead and partake of our kids' ministries. Uh, we have a, a wonderful zero through 12-year-old ministry. Uh, and actually, if you could just go find one of our hosts, they'll help you out and point you in the right direction, uh, unless you would like to, them to hear about some things that you might not want to hear about, all right? So just going to go ahead and throw it out there. And uh, now that my disclaimer has been put out there, don't send me an email about questions that your kids are asking you later. All right? So good. With that, uh, each week we pretty much answer one question. We sort of take the scriptures from, uh, from like I said, pretty much half the chapter, and we sort of frame it up underneath one, uh, one question. And, and the question this week is, who am I imitating? 
Who am I imitating? Now, the reality is, is this, is that all of us are imitators. Whether you know it or not, whether you think that you're this original person, unique, like nobody's ever thought like you. There's, now, there might be one of you in regards to your fingerprint, DNA, things like that. But in regards to like, how you think and how, how you process information, um, your experiences, like a lot of that... This is gonna be. This is gonna sound terrible, but you're really not that unique. Okay, like, is that okay to say? It's not okay to say. Uh, not in America, because we're like, we're wonderful. We love ourselves. But but when it comes down to it, y'all, every book that's being written is really written from a plethora of other books. Okay, all of us we pass down information, and and people shape us, and so we are all imitating somebody. We're imitating somebody. And so the question today is, who am I imitating? Not am I imitating, it's who am I imitating? And uh, the thing about it is that whenever you imitate people, uh, it really shows that you admire them, right? You imitate those that you admire, but also you become just like the people that you imitate. Because as you take on their, their characteristics, you take on their, um, their thinking patterns, a lot of times you also take on the results of those thinking patterns, the results of those characteristics, okay? And so, so with this kind of framed up in our minds, uh, Paul has just come out of uh, chapter four, or we just came out of chapter four, verse 32, where he said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And it starts off in chapter five, verse one, he says this, therefore, be imitators of God. So now that we've answered our question, let's go ahead and pray and close out. Let's imitate God. <laughs> that was easy. All right. Be imitators of God. So we know who are we supposed to imitate? We're supposed to imitate God. So let's kind of shift the gear into this. How, what does it look like to imitate God? What does it look like to imitate God? But here's the deal. Imitating God, it's not just a choice. It's not like one day you say, all right, now I'm going to be like Jesus, and it's done. It is a journey, okay? So the stuff that we talk about today, some of you are going to find yourself uh, where, where maybe it's things that you have overcome many, many years ago, okay? It's things that maybe you dealt with, and, and it's sort of like, yes, I've grown through that, that in this journey, but for some of you, you just started your journey with God. And there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about today that you're like, man, I've got some work to do. All right, now here's the deal. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be challenged in a, a positive way. This is, might be a convicting message, but it doesn't have to be a condemning message, okay? You know the difference? All right, condemnation basically says that's who you are. Conviction says that's not who you are. There's hope. You can grow. You can become more like Jesus based upon his power inside of you. So this is a journey, but it's going to be very challenging. But he says this. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how do we imitate God? What does it look like? Number one, it looks like we walk in love. We walk in love. And he, and he says here, walk in love, uh, or, or he says, imitate God as beloved children. Now, the first thing he's saying here is love like your father. How many of you know that whether you want to or not, you become like your parents, <laughs> right? All right, I'm 34, and I can officially say that I'm just a concoction of both my mom and dad. That's just, that's just what I am, you know? The older I get, I'm like, that's what mom always said. And now I'm saying it to my kid. <laughs> oh, boy. 
So unique, right? So original. No, we, 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 why? It's part of our DNA. We were raised by them. All right, for some of us, that's a positive thing. For others, that's a negative thing. All right, how many, of you, how many times have you met someone who never met their, their parents and they're like, they're full-grown adults, but yet when they get next to their parents, they act just like them? We had that in our family a few years ago. A long-lost nephew came back and, and he looked just like his dad and talked just like, it was insane. Never even met each other, but deep down inside in the core of who they were, they came from the same bloodline. You know what I'm talking about? And so, so here he says, love like your father. Be, act, act like your children of the most high, okay? And so for us, we wanna imitate and become like our heavenly father. So we, we, we want to emulate him, we wanna imitate him, we want to learn what, what his, uh, how his heart, you know, the, the, the things in him that, that we wanna be like, okay? We have to learn, can you bring me down? Am I loud? Am, okay, it's just me, all right? Like, I feel like I'm yelling at you guys, but if y'all are good, then we're good, all right? So... That's fine. Oh, maybe you like that. Like, give me, let's have some church up in here. You know what I'm saying? I've been waiting to yell for years, you know? I'm sorry, I'm not always usually that type of person. Casey, why don't you come up for about, just give, just give, <laughs> just give him like five minutes, man. Just, you know? <laughs> Casey's the preacher up in the, up in the place, but. So he says, love like your father. The next thing he says is love like the son, love like Jesus, who sacrificially gave himself up for us. And that's one component of the way that Jesus has loved us is that he sacrificed for us. And so we as his children, okay, we wanna do the same. Now, Now here's the problem. Whenever I talk about sacrifice, living a sacrificial life, I believe that there's another word that we use a lot in our uh, vernacular, in our culture, and it's this word invest. Okay, so, so whenever I say love sacrificially, what I'm talking about is giving of your life, your, your time, your energy, your money, like who you are, giving of your, yourself for other people to love them well. And so what we'll say sometimes is, we, you know, I'm just, I'm gonna sacrifice, live sacrificially. But the thing that we also say a lot is, man, invest your life into people. Invest your life into the kingdom of God. And I started thinking about that. What, is, what does that word mean to us? And I started thinking about the return on that investment. And I think this is, this is really what it is. When, whenever we live our lives, we look at, as we invest our lives into someone or something, what is the return on that going to be? Now that's, that's something that's very positive, all right? We should be good stewards of our life. But the issue could be is if I am pouring my life into someone or something that I don't receive the return on the investment of, I don't want to really be a part of it as much. So sacrifice has to do with, with us investing or giving our lives to people. But the return on that investment isn't us, it's God. And so, so we are told to live sacrificially, living sacrifices. That literally means every day that you live, you're living your life for the kingdom of God, not yourself, not for your own desires, in the, in the, in the hopes and in the, the, the purpose of God receiving the glory and the return on the investment of your life into those people. Does that make sense? So anytime that you're struggling with living sacrificially and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know that it's a really good investment, I want you to think about what am I thinking of about the return on that investment? Am I thinking I want the return on investment to be for my gain or for God's glory? 
And it's a big question, a big filter that you have to live your life through because we as believers are called to and we're motivated to live our lives for the glory of God. There was a missionary named um, Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India many years ago. And this is what she said. She said, one cannot give, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. I think that should challenge us. If we really love people, that we should do things for them. We should sacrifice our life for them. And most times for us guys, it, it, it looks like just going the extra mile. It looks like giving the extra dollar. It looks like giving the extra time. Whenever you know somebody's going through something, it looks like inviting them over and spending a couple hours with them, right? Whenever you're tired, you know, you've been working all day, but you know that, that ministry, this ministry moment's important. That, that's what it looks like. But a lot of times we're not open to that. And it really has to challenge us. And we have to ask the question, how loving are we? How loving are we? And the return on that investment ultimately, again, is that God gets the glory. So am I walking in love? So first step to imitating God is walking in love. The next thing that Paul goes into, uh, which is really the bulk of our message today, is going to be in walking in light. How do we imitate God? What does it look like? We walk in light. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God." Just so you know, kingdom of Christ and God is the same kingdom. He was just reiterating again that Jesus is God. It's the same kingdom, right? But he's saying something that's very, very, um, well, let me say this. It was offensive in that time, and it still is offensive in this time. So in this time, we've talked a little bit about all the, the Greek religions that were going on and, and the, the pluralistic mindset of the people in that time. And there was a god, a, a, god, a, a Greek god, and the name was uh, Dionysus, and also uh, known as Bacchus, right? Which they have wonderful pork chops. So is it on Mondays or Tuesdays? Is it Tuesdays? Wonderful pork chops. But, but um, what Bacchus is, it's the god of wine. All right, and, and, and so there was these cults that would worship these gods, and you know, it's really, there's many, many of them, a lot of, a lot of gods, so we're not gonna go into some sort of Greek religion breakdown here, but what they would do is they would have these festivals, like a lot of festivals, like a lot, and what they would do is they would get plastered drunk, all right, and there was orgies, there was a lot of sex. Anytime that you, you see a worship of false gods, you're gonna see a lot of, of immorality in the sexual realm, a lot of it. Cults even now today, whenever you see someone control people, they usually end up with a bunch of women, right? They usually, and it ends up being this, this, this thing. So, so back in the day, it was the same thing. So in this culture, there was this worship of this God where they would actually, they would worship in ways in order to be filled with the spirit. This is what they would say, to be filled with the spirit of Dionysus in order to be able to, uh, to, to you know, there was fertility, there was health. They actually thought that by worshiping this God that they would sort of uh, uh, get some, you know, eternal like immorality, uh, immortality from the God, which... A lot of times, isn't it amazing how uh, false gods, false religions, and, and you know, the worship of our God 
parallel. You begin to study it and you'll see all these parallels. And a lot of people think that all of these religions that are happening today is something new. It was happening a long, long, long time ago. So they would worship this God. There was all of this sexual immorality. There was this drunk, these just massive drunken parties. Actually, they were so like, crazy that they began to get outlawed over time because they were just, they were just ruining the cities. But, but I want you to picture this. You know, we talk about pornography in our, in our day and age and, and how it's running rampant. Well, in this time, they would line the streets with statues of, of, of naked gods and, and sex was just, it was a God and it still is a God in our culture. So when Paul says this, it is, I mean, it's right down everybody's alley. They know exactly what he's talking about. He's like, don't act like that. He says, walk in light. And we're gonna get into to some of those other things here in a second. But whenever he says, he talks about sexual immorality and crudeness and all of these things, he's talking specifically to this time. These people are, they've been raised up in this culture to enjoy these parties, to be a part of it. And now they believe in Jesus. And he's like, hey, look, your belief system has changed but your actions have to change too. Like, why would you wanna be filled with this spirit whenever there is the Holy Spirit to be filled with? Like, like you, can't, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too, but, but honestly, guys, you shouldn't want your cake and eat it too. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I think that's, that's really what it is. See, at this part of the sermon, a lot of people, when you read these scriptures, are like, oh, you're just telling me I can't have sex anymore with, with whoever I want. Yeah, but, but really, my thing is, why do you want to have sex with everybody? Like, what, what is that? Because it's not the spirit that we're talking about. But it is the goal of so many people. And it is the goal of our culture is to glorify sex to such a, a, a place of idolatry that honestly, a lot of you young people, like, it's just normalized to you. It's just normal. The music nowadays is it's just out of control you know, and for us, I mean, I think in our culture, it's getting worse, but it's already happened many, many times in other cultures. It's just the first time for us, Americans, you know? So he's combating this. He's like, guys, this is not how you're supposed to live your life. So he confronts sexual immorality and impurity. And a lot of people ask us, how do you guys um, define you know, immorality, sexual immorality. And this is sort of just the way that we define sexual immorality. It's, it's any sexual act activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Any sexual activity, all right? So I hope that's clear enough, you know, because there's a lot of questions around that. And, and today, culture is just trying to redefine what the Bible's already said about it. So there, there's really not a lot of questions. It's just about how we're gonna react to that truth. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, guys, the covenant of marriage is wonderful. It's beautiful. Actually, for, for many people nowadays, I, I actually read a stat the other day uh, that since I think it was 96, the amount of people that are cohabiting together before marriage is, is like tripled. It's just millions of people. And, and it's become a normalized. And look, I'm, I know many of you in this room probably right now, you're, you're living together outside of marriage. And I'm not here to, like to, to make you feel guilty about that. It's not, I'm just sharing with you what, what the Bible says. The, the problem is it's, it's kind of the cart before the horse, there's a lack of commitment and there's no covenant, but everybody's acting like they're married and then some things get, get kind of weird. They don't operate exactly right because it was supposed to be commitment first, covenant first, and then walking it out from there. Guys, it's a lot like salvation. A lot of people want to act like they're saved, right? 
but they haven't made a, they don't have a covenant with God. They don't have a relationship with God. So, they, so it's a, it's a works-based marriage, just like it's a works-based Christianity. And it never works. God wants your heart before he wants your behavior. And for people, like, don't you want someone's heart before you get to all of the, all the, the other things that you get to enjoy? The world, has, it just continually tries to put the cart before the horse and then people, everything starts falling apart and they don't know why. It's clearly, clearly defined. And so that, that's really what sexual immorality is. And we don't want to, we, he says, come out of that thinking, come out of that lifestyle. But sex sells, it's everywhere. Our culture, again, is completely consumed with it. Uh, but I believe that sexual sin is fundamentally a worship problem. It's, everything is a worship problem. If, if you sum it up in this, here's my desires. And let's say that these desires I have are contrary to God's desires, right? And I know it, I feel it, I'm convicted by it. But the moment comes where I need to place more worth on God's desire for me than my own, okay? And what that would look like is I would take God's desires and I would obey them above my own desires. I would say I would live sacrificially, okay? Well, nowadays it's my desires are king, my desires are what matter, and you can't tell me how to live my life, all right? This is a worship problem. What do you place more worth on? Your own desires or God's, all right? Now, I wanna say this. The Bible is not anti-sex, uh, but it's pro-intimacy in the covenant of marriage. Again, this might be the part of the sermon where I hope you took your kids out, but can I just say something, especially to young people? I need, I, you need to understand something because it's not, it's not taught enough. Sex in the covenant of marriage is so much better, so much more fruitful than outside of marriage. Marriage sex is the best sex, all right? There's no walk of shame. Come on. There's no walk of shame. You have two people who have vowed their life to one another, right? And who are growing in intimacy, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And when those two people come together and they have sex, it's a wonderful thing that God created. And the problem is that in church, we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about it in a God-honoring way. And so therefore, we only hear and, and talk about it in a God-dishonoring way. And it begins to shape our mind to where just don't talk about it in the church. I've heard of people getting married and actually feeling guilty that they had lustful thoughts towards their fiance, which they're getting married to. I'm like, that's how it's supposed to happen. That is wonderful. If you said it the opposite way, I'd maybe kind of be wondering a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because in marriage, the marriage bed is holy and it's wonderful. And it needs to be talked about a little bit more, right? So the Bible's not anti-sex. God created it and it's good and it's wonderful but it needs to be done in the proper pattern, in the proper way. And uh, one more thing, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they say, man, it just makes financial sense for us to just to live together right now and, and all that. And, and, and I understand that, um, but we've had a lot of people in our church who it made fin uh, financial sense for them to, to live together. And we actually just had one a couple weeks ago and they said, we wanna do it right though, before we move into this house. And they came and they got married with a few family members and a pastor in a back office because they wanted to commit their lives to one another and then they're gonna have a, a, a ceremony later on. I'm telling you guys, it, it, it's good. All right, I gotta keep moving. 
talks about being covetous. We just talked about uh, covetousness just a couple months ago. I'm not going to lean into that. And then he also talks about corrupt speech. And we talked about that last week. Pastor Mike had talked about that. But he says all of, the, all of these things, people who uh, live a lifestyle of this, and this is their, this is their worship, okay? He's, he says these people have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just repeating what the word of God says about it, all right? So don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul, right? <laughs> Take your anger out on him. Don't send me an email. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to publicly say something. If you'd like to send an email with a complaint, we, uh, we, we opened up a fictitious email address. It's called complaints at northwood.church. And uh, you can send whatever you want there and... Uh, Nobody's going to read it, <laughs> but you're going to feel better about yourself. So go ahead and do that. Yeah, just got to vent to nothing. It'll be fine. Um, verse six, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Another aspect of walking in light has to do with repentance. Guys, look, you're never gonna talk to anyone who received Jesus, who said yes to following Jesus, where their life did not change. Not truly. Repentance is turning from darkness to light. It doesn't always mean that you want to turn from darkness to light, but it always means that you do, <laughs> that you do, that there is a turning, that there is a repentant lifestyle. Does it mean that in your life from time to time that you might turn slightly back to a dark lifestyle, right? Or a, a dark way of thinking. We're we are gonna sin, y'all. You're gonna mess up. Paul knows that. The wonderful thing, we've talked about this, is that where sin abounds, grace abounds. It's wonderful. And some of you, you actually need to know that. That love covers a multitude of sin. That, that like, like God loves you and he has ample grace for anything that you have walked through and are walking through right now. But he still at the same time says, look, we don't just sin so that grace abounds. We don't do that. That would be abusing the grace and the love of God. So we don't live that lifestyle. And anyone who does, they're missing the whole concept. And so Paul is saying, you've got to change in your thinking, in your actions, live a repentant lifestyle. And I think for a lot of people, you really need to understand that that's how you find healing is through living a repentant lifestyle. You find healing. You find forgiveness from God. You find healing from people as you confess and you walk out this new life. But he says this interesting part. He says, don't even partner with people who are living this life. Now, this is where some people uh, get a little confused too because we're not even supposed to partner and do life with people who live in these ways. And, and this gets tough because Jesus hung out with a lot of people who obviously didn't glorify God in the way that they lived, right? So we have this tension of who should be my friends? Who should be the people that I hang out with on Friday nights? Who, who, who are the people that I, I, I you know, have a relationship with? Well, I wanna say this about Jesus. Jesus hung out with everybody. 
he was all over the map. Like Jesus was everywhere. Okay, he was in the clubs, he was all over the map. But Jesus went into situations with the heart posture to transform people, not to conform to them. All right? So that's a big difference. If I'm hanging out with people who are not doing things righteously, right? My heart in that situation is not to be like them. My heart is to be like Jesus in the midst of them. All right? And that's where a lot of people get off because actually you're not being Jesus to people. You're just hanging out with with the wrong crowd. And then you come in on Sunday morning with the body of Christ and we sing these wonderful songs and you can't lift your hands, you can't sing because you've got filth just like on you. You've got, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm, I'm not going there. I'm just saying that your lifestyle is not lending itself to holiness. It's not lending itself to being filled with the spirit of God, with the power of God. It's just a religious thing. And, and so you live every Sunday morning in guilt and you can't wait just to get out of here so you can get that feeling off of you, right? And push it to the side. And God's actually inviting you to a, a, a much better life, one where you, you have no lies, you have no other life. You don't have your Saturday night life and your Sunday morning life, but you just have your life in Christ. That's what he's inviting you to, right? Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even, uh, even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's actually, it's actually believed that he's, he's quoting a, an old hymn at the, in this time. Uh, right there, it's, it's actually a collection of other th- of thoughts and other quotes of, of other verses, but But really here, he's talking about whenever we walk in light, we naturally expose darkness. I want you to think about this. When you, as a believer, walk out and live out your life, just just being you, as a person of light, whenever you get in dark places around people who are not in light, you, like your presence there, just naturally sorts of, sometimes it'll make people feel uneasy. Right? It's kind of awkward. You ever, people are talking about something, they look over and say, oh, well, I'm sorry. Sorry, I know you're, you're religious, you know, so I don't want to. What is that? They know that what they're talking about and what they're doing is wrong. They really do. They might know it because they have a background in, in some sort of church thing, right? But they, they know. And so they recognize you as the light bulb in the room. And they want to apologize for their darkness encroaching on your light, Right? But I wanna encourage you guys in something, and I've said this a few different times. I wanna encourage you guys, like, like make some elbow room in those areas, like those dark areas. Just kinda of like, just smile real big. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be argumentative. But like, you know it's okay to be in a group of people that are completely just, you know, off, but you're just sitting there like, actually, no, that's, that's not how it is for me. But I, I mean, I know what you're talking about, but yeah, I live my life a little bit differently than that. What are you talking about? Oh, man. You know, I try, to, I try to live like Jesus. And just smile. Just let it be awkward. It's good. Some of you can't because you don't have any boldness. 
And I think some people think boldness is standing up on top of a stage or in whatever. Boldness looks like just being light in dark places. And are you gonna stand out? Yep. Are you okay with that? Jesus was. He was okay with it. But yet people were drawn to him because they were like, everybody else is fake, but you're real. Like, I'm talking to the real person here. And actually that light that exposed that darkness actually produced this, this, this environment that actually drew people to the heart of God. That's what we're called to do, y'all. We're called to be Jesus to people. Don't have to judge them. You ain't gotta get in arguments with them. Just live right in front of them. I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going. All right, verse 15. In case you're wondering what's happening in those moments, my brain's like, there's about 14 other options. Just go to the next verse, just verse 15, here we go. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The next part here is we walk in wisdom. What does it look like to imitate God? How does it look? It looks like we walk in love, we walk in light, and we walk in wisdom. Live your life in godly wisdom with intentionality and purpose for the kingdom of God. Live your life in godly wisdom with intentionality and purpose for the kingdom of God. I believe that this is one of the greatest struggles in the American church because we are so distracted with ourselves and with our lives and with our careers and with everything that we have going on that it becomes very difficult to live carefully and intentionally and in, in, in with purpose for the kingdom of God. We can live carefully, intentionally, and with purpose for our own kingdom. That's easy. I wake up every day, my brain automatically goes to my own kingdom, okay? But that's not the life or the kingdom I'm called to build. I'm called to build the kingdom of God, right? All of us are. As believers, did you know that that's your primary purpose? Is to live in, build, be a part of the kingdom of God. It's the only eternal thing that we're a part of. Everything else passes away. And so we have to live carefully and intentionally, calculating every day that we live because the days are slipping by, y'all. They're slipping by. And we've gotta be intentional of how are we living our life. We can't get distracted from the mission. We can't get distracted from the mission. Every day there's something that's gonna pop into your life to distract you from the call of God on your life, every day. It might be something from within yourself, just a struggle, a trial, it might be somebody that does something to you every day. There's something that is causing you not to say it is well with my soul, right? There, there's something that is pulling you away from the reality of the kingdom that you're a part of. And he says, don't let it happen. The next thing he says is understand what the, the Lord's will is. And a lot of times whenever we say this, I mean, come on, y'all, we've all prayed this pray prayer. God, would you show me what your will is? When we say that, a lot of times we are actually saying, God, would you just tell me what my future is? <laughs> tell me what your will is for me to do. And also a lot of times we want God to speak it like verbatim, like write it down for us and hand it to us because then it takes all faith and responsibility out of the equation. I don't have to trust 
in something if I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. So sometimes I think, y'all, like we may pray prayers that are really weird. We go to God like a fortune teller or something. I don't know, right? Show me your will. Let me look at a glass ball or something. I don't know. And God's like, actually, first off, you need to trust me in a lot of that. Like, don't worry about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna wear. Don't live that life. Trust me. But really here, I believe that Paul is basically saying when he says will, the Lord's will is, he's saying the, the revealed will of God, like through the word of God. What does, what's God's will for your life? Well, he clearly has defined what his will is for our behavior to be in the Bible. At this time, many people are reading the 10 commandments. That was his will. They were reading the law. They, 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 knew of, they knew the heart of God. And of course, Jesus came and fulfilled the law, right? And he ended it. But, but at the same point, they knew those commandments were still in play. And he's like, he's like, to understand what the will of God is. And for many of you, some of the things I just said, sexual immorality, covetousness, all of those things, like you need to, you need to take that as the God, God's will for you to, to live. So it's not a political conversation. Like I wasn't having a political conversation a few minutes ago when I was talking about what sexual immorality is. I was having a, a, a theological one. And so, and Paul's doing the same thing. He's like, you need to understand what the will of the Lord is, which is what I pretty much was just telling some of you. Come out of those parties, come out of those drunken places or you're worshiping Bacchus, right? Come out of those, those environments and be light and walk in light, be different. That's what the will of the Lord, of God is for you. But he's like, you need to understand that. Some of you, you need to understand that and receive that. Receive the truth in love, right? We just talked about that a couple weeks ago. Paul repeats this process of us seeking to know, understand, and then to do the will of God as a priority for our daily walk. You need to know the will of God, the Bible. You need to understand it. But at some point, speaking to you new believers, at some point, you have to begin to do the will of God you have to begin to live a life of obedience, right? Verse 18, a lot of people like this verse. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. But a lot of people don't keep going to verse 19. <laughs> Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing is to imitate God, we need to walk in the spirit. We need to walk in the spirit. It says, don't get drunk. And a lot of churches, a lot of people have a lot of different standards and convictions when it comes to drinking. The Bible never says, don't touch alcohol. It, unless you have taken a vow, right? But it says, don't be drunk. But really what Paul is trying to get people to understand in this point is to be filled with the spirit of God, not to be filled with the spirit of Bacchus, right? To be filled with the love of wine. And let me tell you something, a lot of people, they live lives where they get intoxicated. Not just, not just alcohol, drugs, whatever the case is. I, I wanna be honest with you, a lot of people in our culture get intoxicated on entertainment. We're gonna do a message next year sometime, I can't wait, on entertainment because entertainment has just as much control over you as alcohol for a lot of you. You might not reach for the, for, you know, for the drink, but you, you reach for the remote. 
You open up your device and you watch hours and hours of movies and and Netflix and whatever. Why? Because you don't want to think. You want to disconnect. It's just as intoxicating. He says, don't be filled with those things. He says, be filled with the spirit of God. A lot of people, whenever they are intoxicated, what they're actually trying to do is they're trying to find a place of joy, relief. And and I've said this quite quite a bit. If you come home from a long day of work and you're stressed out, maybe some things have hit the fan and you're stressed out and you say, man, I really need whatever other than I really need Jesus, you need to check your priorities. You need to check what you're doing because you're reaching for something other than the spirit of God to fill you with joy, with peace, with the it is well. You're looking for something else to fill you with that other than the spirit of God. And that's dangerous, y'all. So live intentionally, carefully, be careful. But he says, be filled, walk in the spirit. In the spirit, and he says, in this spirit, when you come together, sing and celebrate Jesus together. Do y'all know that's what we do on Sundays? We come together, we sing and we celebrate. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I, I really think that on Sunday mornings, we as the crowd, as the people of God coming together, we should sing so loud and with such intensity that it's really, it gets hard for us to actually hear the people from the stage. Like, I really, like, I really believe that. And, and, it, and if singing songs for you looks like this, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, like, what, <laughs> if it looks like that, let me tell you this, you do not sing your favorite song on the radio like that. You don't do that. You don't, I can't think of a favorite song that I would want to sing right now to illustrate what that might look like, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> when we play golf, a lot of times we got music playing and like, you know, one of those classic songs from like 1965 comes on and it's like, boom, 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 you know, everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, do we do that whenever we're singing about Jesus? Come on. Come on, do we have that same passion and excitement where we celebrate Jesus when we come together? That word hymn, the classical Greek word for hymn, it refers to singing songs uh, about uh, of, of famous heroes of the times. Really what he's saying, instead of singing a Bacchus, sing praise to God. Give praise to God. Stop worshiping that. Worship your heavenly father. I want to end with this statement. Thanks to God and praise of God is a natural result of being filled with the spirit of God. Live a life of thanksgiving. I want to challenge each and every one of you this week, at least one time a day, to say a prayer, true heartfelt prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he has supplied for you, what he has given you, who he is. Thank him for his grace and his love for you. Begin to pray prayers of thanks every time that you drive up to your house, no matter how big it is. Say, God, I thank you for my home. I thank, sometimes y'all, I'm bringing the trash to the road. I'm like, God, thank you for an industry that picks up my trash so I don't have to go bury it in the backyard. Like, seriously, I'm talking live a life of thanksgiving to God, right? This is what it looks like to imitate God. Am I imitating God? Who am I imitating? Hopefully it's God. Hopefully it's the things that we've talked about. What does it look like? I believe that these are some wonderful things to to live out. But I know that many of you in this room today, 
things that we've talked about, you're like, that ain't me, that ain't me. I kind of get that right sometimes, that ain't me. And it all comes to the end and you're like, that's why it's not me. It's because my heart hasn't been changed and filled with God's spirit. The essence of who he is, is filled with myself. I wanna give every person in this room an opportunity to respond to whatever God's speaking to you. Let's pray, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. If you know that you're far from God, if you know that, that maybe, maybe you're here and you've never made a decision, you never responded to the grace of God and say, Lord, I wanna follow you, I wanna give you my life. Maybe some of you have done that a long time ago, but it's, it's not real anymore. And today you wanna make a decision to, to sort, of, sort of tighten the screws, right? Sort of get back into right standing with God. It's a wonderful time to do that. I'm not gonna bring you up to the front of the room or or do anything to embarrass you, this is between you and God. And in this moment, just say something like, God, I surrender my heart to you. God, I, I repent of my sin. I repent of the things that I've done and said and the attitude I've had. But God, ultimately I repent of my sin nature. God, I ask you to replace that, that, that natural ability to displease you with a supernatural ability to please you. Change my heart. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Clothe me in your righteousness. I give you all that I am today. I thank you for the cross of Jesus where he paid the price for my sin and my shame to where now I have an advocate with God. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for your grace. God, I pray for each person in this room today, for all of us that you would help us to live lives that honor you and lift you up. God, lives that, that we live sacrificially, investing our lives into your kingdom. Ultimately, God, that you would get the return on that investment, which is glory and honor and praise and fame to your name, not our own. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.